This is Acts 12, 1 through 5. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer from him was made to God by the church. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Hello. Good morning. Long time no see. Um, so yeah, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're pretty much covering the whole chapter together. And so we're going to um, dive into it. If you're new, we love walking through books of the Bible. So that's where we're going to be. We're in Acts chapter 12. We've been here for this whole year and we'll continue to be in Acts. And um, as we see God's works on display, as he's forming and shaping a people who are um, living all of life in light of the good news of Jesus. So if you have a Bible or an app or, you know, uh, however it is that you read God's word, go ahead and turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you a Bible. También si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Hechos capítulo 12. Um, so uh, again, if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, keep this one, bring it with you. Uh, we, we, uh, I don't have much good to give you um, other than God's incredible word. And so we trust that uh, we're going we're gonna to lean and press into his word and what he has for us. So now with that, guys, let me, um, let me pray. I'm going to pray as well for that thing that I said earlier about the men. Um, for some of you who just came in or you weren't there, I'll, I'll even, you don't have to put it up there or anything, but I just want to say again, because I want it to be known, we're um, starting Wednesday, May 31st from 6 to 7 a.m. for 13 weeks straight. We're going to come together as men and come around the conversation of uh, sexual health and purity and what it means to uh, be formed and shaped and renewed and restored and empowered by the good news of Jesus. So there it is again, invitation to all of us. With that, let me pray for us, okay, for all of us as we now get into our time together in God's word. Heavenly Father, we love you and we need you and um, we're all the more aware, even from, again, earlier, our time of confession of how great you are and how far we fall short. And I pray that our time together makes the sufficiency of Jesus of forgiveness and hope and power in him. I pray that you would form us as your people, individually and communally. And even as uh, I just want to pray right now, Lord, for all of us, specifically, though, for the men. Um, though we take times here and there to talk about different things, different issues, different groups, right now, Lord, we're all the more aware of the brokenness in our culture of men, the absence, the indulgence, the childlikeness, the prolonged adolescence, Lord, the wounds, the hurts, the insecurities, that we need Jesus to inform and transform us. So Lord, that's now true for all of us as we come together before your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would descend upon us. 
Lord, take your word to plant it deeply in our hearts and to secure our minds and to empower our lives. Lord, as your people, in response to Jesus, in his name we pray, amen. All right, so um, just as we get into chapter 12 here, again, those of you who are new or if you haven't been here throughout the whole time, the, the church has is, is somewhat been in a little bit of a schizophrenic kind of feel. There, there's there's or, or, or somewhat of a confusion of some some good things and then some really hard things and and some and then some 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 faith and some promises and then some insecurity and some confusion and some doubt and 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 the reality that we see the church as a whole in the early days going through is is somewhat of a reflection or a mirror of us in our lives again, individually in our families, for us as a whole people. Because what has happened here, just again to kind of track with me of where the church is right now as we get into chapter 12 is this, that, 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 that Jesus came, right? He says he is God. He's, he's sent by God the Father. He's God the Son. He's come to usher in a new kingdom. There's good news, which would bring like imagery and ideas of trumpets resounding and excitement and partying and the end of oppression and struggle and strife and so there's this expectation and then he dies and there's confusion and there's this idea of 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 hope and then tragic descent or a plunge to hopelessness. And then, right, Easter Sunday, every Sunday we remember the victory of Jesus raising from the dead. And so you go from this power to this confusion and despair to this hope and this excitement and this conquering of Jesus risen from the dead. And then he's with his people and he continues to inform their faith and to tell them what he is doing. And then he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. And he says, a power will come It'll be God, the Holy Spirit. And when that power comes, you will be my witnesses. My work will continue. And so there's this promise of power. And then pretty quickly, they see that informed, right? The Holy Spirit comes, Acts chapter 2, and all kinds of people come to faith. There are conversions. There's radical transformation. And then shortly after, we see miracles happening. And there's like, yeah, there's power. There's hope. There's good things happening. And then, boom, persecution in one of their own, Stephen, dies. And the powers of this world seem to be ruling and reigning. And then there's more hope and more. And it's like they're kind of climbing back up and they see more examples and more pictures of God's power on display. And there's miraculous healings. And again, even broader conversion in the kingdom. The good news of Jesus is going forth to the ends of the earth. And they're starting to see that happen. And then, boom, more death, more confusion. And that's where we pick up this morning in Acts chapter 12 is they're entering back into a state of confusion. Wondering, what, what does real power look like? Does God have power? Or do the power structures around us define us? What do we do with this promise of power and hope in light of the reality of apparent powerlessness. And about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. 
And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. Herod the king, a man of great power and influence in that day, decides to use his power and turn his focus to oppression of God's people. And it says, right, he not just laid hands on them, but he laid violent hands on God's people. And this is getting closer here. He killed James. This is one of, one of Jesus' inner circle, one of his people. This is someone that we've seen at different times, we've grown accustomed to. It's a different James than we'll see at the end of the verse, but James, the son of John, right? One of, one of the, the sons of thunder, one of these guys we've gotten accustomed to. If you read through Luke and now Acts, which those two go hand in hand, right? It's all about God and his power and his works centered on the, on, on the death and resurrection of Jesus and then the sending of the Holy Spirit and this whole book is going. And so if you read through volume one, Luke, and then volume two, Acts, and you're reading, this is like jarring. Wait, James? Right? It's like you're watching a movie or a show, and one of your favorite characters suddenly dies, and you're like, wait, how does this story continue? How is God really powerful if James just got killed? More specifically, he just got beheaded, and Herod has this power, but Look at me. It's a false power. It's an impotent power. Because look at what he does with this power. Verse 3, he sees that it pleased the Jews. And there's all kinds of historical fact between about why this is kind of, you might not even be interested in this stuff, but the fact that he beheaded James is, is, is like standing in solidarity with the religious authorities, with the Jews, because the fact that he was beheaded is like declaring he's an apostate, that anyone associated with Jesus is not good. It's not like, yeah, Jesus is okay, but my God does this. And hey, it's all the same, right? All roads lead to the same place or whatever, right? Stuff that we think in our lens today, that was not at all the case. And so the fact that Herod beheads him shows that he is saying, yeah, there's nothing good about anyone who follows Jesus. And then he sees that these antichrists, that this group of people who are so anti-Jesus are excited about that. He's like, oh, oh, you like that? And he's deriving his power and his confidence from others, from those who he leads. And so when they start to give him affirmation, he's like, oh, oh, cool. Okay. You like that? Well, watch this. Boom. I'm going to arrest Peter. And you have to believe he had the same plan for Peter. So again, as we now walk through and we look at Herod, you see a, a power. And then in Peter, you see a powerlessness. He's arrested. He's seized. It says he's put in prison and he's delivered over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Verse 4, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So he's got plans here. Almighty Peter, right? Through the book of Acts, we've seen Peter on display, his power, his influence, his wisdom, his faith, right? He's, he's healed all kinds of people. So you're reading and you're like, okay, James was like one of my favorite characters, but Peter's like the man. But he's not. And guess what? Luke doesn't think he is either. Is he important? Is he significant? Is he, has, has he been faithful? Has he been mightily used by God? Yeah, absolutely. 
but we're prone to a celebrity kind of thinking, right? We're, we're prone to think, well, yeah, Peter did all these things and we struggle to see how it connects. We struggle to see how God might inform and lead our lives because we put other people up on a pedestal. Okay, side note, don't ever do that with me. Not that you, yeah, thank you for that laugh because it should be pretty silly to think that you would put me up on a pedestal. But, but, but all the more, like, we're prone to do that. We think, oh, well, that person, oh, he's the pastor. Well, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, or, oh, that person is this or this. And we miss the source of hope and the source of power in anyone. And we, we don't understand how easily anyone could fall. And so I think Luke is intentionally, he's a good writer, okay? Any of you who like to write or like to read, kind of, you'll see even through this chapter, incredible stuff put in there. And the fact that it's set up here, it's setting us up to be scratching our head and saying, even Peter is helpless. He's powerless right now. And you see Herod's incredible power. Four groups of soldiers, numbers of soldiers, and, 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 and Peter is helpless, but he needs God to provide. And look at verse 5. Look how God provides. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. Again, he's helpless. He's powerless. Okay, we're meant to have a sense of despair. What's Peter going to do? Almighty Peter, Peter the Great, what can he do? He's in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Again, Peter's not the main point. Peter the Great is not the main point here. God working, God's power, specifically right now, through his people, the church. Hear me. Sometimes you and I have needs that God will only meet through others of his people. Here, here again, okay, because I want to make sure that you catch that. We have such a, you know, suck it up, pull ourselves up by our boots, bootstraps. Let me confess to you that all the more as a pastor, I can tend to think way too highly of myself than I ought. And many of us think that way. And we, I, I'll just say, we, we, we say, I should do this. I should do that. I, I'm this or that. Therefore, I should be able to overcome this. And we like to think, oh, I've got God. It should be enough. And God says, yes, I'm enough. And I'm going to meet your need, not just in this unilateral top down, forget everyone else, me and God, we don't need anyone else. But God says, yeah, I'm going to meet your needs through my people. And he does that in a way that maybe we fail to see is so effective. Through prayer. Again, feel the powerlessness that Peter would be experiencing and then feel the powerlessness that the rest of the church, just seeing James beheaded, and now Peter's arrested, and they don't know what to do, so they go to God in prayer. And as we will see, it is not passive. It is not inactive. It is incredibly effective to go powerfully to the very source of power in prayer. In verse 6, now Herod was about to bring him out on that very night and Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Again, the imagery here is like, it's not just enough that there are guards, armed guards, armed soldiers outside, but he's sleeping between two soldiers. He's bound with two chains, not just one chain, but two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And then verse seven, behold, 
Like, and suddenly an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. So Peter's there, passive. Again, get ourselves in the shoes of the first century Jewish people here. Peter is it. He is the highest, most powerful person of God that you could even imagine. And here he is laying there helpless. But then his community, God's people are praying are going before God and God, resp- and, and, and God intervenes, God steps in and, and he does this incredible work. And, and then this word there, which we'll get to in a moment, in a moment is Peter's like laying there helpless, reactive, okay? He's not initiating, he's not like, oh God, do you know me? I'm so powerful, I'm so, he's just laying there. God initiates and strikes him. That word will come up again. It's perhaps could be translated as nudges, but either way, it's God moving on a person. And Peter has to respond. He's, he wakes up and, and God says, um, I've got plans for you. I'm going to direct you. And there's a sense of authority. It would be a little bit fearful even. Sometimes when God intervenes in your life, when God responds or, or to the, the prayers of his people, and, and steps into your life. Some of you students here, your parents maybe have been praying for you and your, your parents probably don't know how God's gonna answer that and sometimes it's an intervention that jars you, that wakes you up, that, that, that God says, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you right now and it's gonna be uncomfortable, but here's what you do. And so he does that to Peter and Peter's like, okay, I'm putting on my clothes, I'm putting on my shoes. He's kind of stepping in, he's responding and, and he's just going and he thinks he's dreaming, right? He's like, you know, is this real life or is it just fantasy? You know, he's he, queen. Some of you, um, he doesn't know though, right? He's kind of stuck in between. He doesn't know what he's doing and he's going along. And this, I just love this again, this writing. He's going with this angel of the Lord in this massive iron gate, right? We're told that, um, that uh, up in verse, verse 10, when they had passed the first and the second guard, again, many guards, many chains, Hopeless, helpless, powerless. And yet, God's power proves sufficient. And he's leading Peter, and Peter's going along kind of in this trance. And he's going, they pass through this iron gate like, like, like Jedis, right? Like, you know, like open. Just, he's just kind of floating along, so he still doesn't know what's happening. Verse 11, he finally comes to himself, and he says, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So he's going along. This massive iron gate is preventing him. One guard, two guards, many guards, one chain, two chains, many chains, free not by his own power, not by his own faith, but by the intervening power of almighty God. He goes through this gate. He finally wakes up and says, okay, I'm, there's, God's doing something here. God is freeing me. God's delivering me. I don't know what to do. So verse 12, what do you do when something's good going on? You go and tell your friends. 
When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Side note, introducing John Mark. Okay, more about him to come, but another important figure that is just kind of casually introduced. Again, the main character of this whole story is God. The acts of God, not the acts of the apostles. We like to pick our favorite character and think it's all about them. Oh, it's all about the first half. It's all about Peter. Second half, all about Paul. I'm more of a Paul guy, so I kind of pick up, you know, halfway through. I'm more of a Peter person. I kind of pick up here. No, no, no. Okay. God's like, hey, you be a God person. Amen. And so let me, and so introduce John Mark. We'll get to him in weeks to come. But then, so where many were gathered together and were praying, again, unnamed characters in this story. Every one of you is insignificant and every one of us is significant. Every one of us is insignificant and every one of us is significant. That's been a theme throughout Acts, right? We've seen these unnamed characters mightily, powerfully used by God and they don't even get their name in the, in the, uh, in the end, you know, in the, what are those called? Credits, thank you, in the credits. They don't even get their name in the credits. I'm a little foggy, by the way. Had a long week in LA. It was inc- I could all, you'll hear more about it, by the way, but really good time. And um, I'm a little bit uh, uh, excited and um, uh, l- leaning heavily on the spirit. Uh, let's just say that. And so, um, where was I? I'm okay, I'm okay, uh, kind of pausing here together, right? This is, it's the summer. We're all heat stroke. Verse 13. (laughs) Verse 13. So Peter knocks at the door of the gateway and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now, a bunch of funny things are going on here. First of all, Peter just Jedi mind trick walked right through this massive iron gate and now a little gate with someone on the other side that could open it prevents him from coming in, (laughs) right? Again, if Peter had just the Holy Spirit, if he's like, I'm Peter, I got the Holy Spirit back here. Now I'm filled up. I can do whatever I want. I'll just leave it there because I could go off on certain kind of theological persuasions that kind of act that way. Like, oh, once I got the Holy Ghost, I could do whatever I want. And, you know, I declare this and I declare that. And, and you see, that's not what happens here, right? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Lord, just bombards right through this iron gate. And yet moments later, he's standing in front of a much flimsier, less secure gate. And he's like, uh, hello, anyone? You know, can let me in. Like, he's not like, I declare you open. God's power is on display here. And it is absolutely clear. Not Peter, not Herod, and definitely not this servant girl who just runs off and and leaves him there. Although there's again something really important here to see. The fact that a servant girl is named by name is really significant. She goes and tells all these godly people who have been named, right? John Mark and in the, the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark. So all these people who are named, all these significant, all these like special characters, main characters are mentioned by name. But they don't get it, right? Because it says they don't even believe her. But it's still funny, right? She's like, ah! 
ah, so excited. She runs off, leaves Peter there, goes and tells these people who should, who are praying, who are praying that Peter would be delivered. And in the middle of those prayers, this servant girl comes running in and says, Peter has been delivered. And they say, well, probably not, you know, scientifically, theologically, I'm not so sure. I believe it, right? Like that's what's going on. And, and let's pause for a moment. Like that's okay. There's great power in prayer. And hear me, there's also a problem with prayer. And it's you and me and, and our, our struggle to understand the breadth and the depth of God and his power. And sometimes even the very things we're praying for, we struggle to believe God could even answer. I've seen this come true in our own lives. Just kind of, some of you guys know this story, but my daughter, my fourth daughter, um, third daughter, fourth kid, Zoe, um, was, uh, her name is Zoe because in Greek that word means life. And we named her that because for the majority of the pregnancy, we were pretty certain that she would not, experience life in its full and we had incredibly difficult diagnoses and we've experienced other things that we prayed for significantly and wept over and fasted over and they didn't work out the way we thought they would and yet Zoe we were it was a whole nother story we could share more with you but multiple ultrasounds multiple doctor's visits and and we were um, kind of just helpless and perhaps even hopeless and we prayed and we fasted and many other people came alongside us and prayed with us for healing, for, for God to give life where it seemed like there was no way there could otherwise be. And uh, kind of out of the blue during one of the ultrasounds, there was a miraculous healing. Everything that the doctors had seen up to that point that would continue to give us hopelessness was gone and the doctors were kind of scratching their heads and, and I was like, really tempted and even gave in to thinking like, huh, maybe there was just like, you know, the ultrasounds were wrong or maybe, you know, maybe this was this or this. And actually my wife kind of stepped in and was like, actually, we've been praying for this. We believe God healed uh, our daughter right now. It was like a three hour doctor's visit and it was a pretty cool situation. One doctor kind of got outed and ended up sharing her faith with one of her colleagues and there was it was this incredible picture and we're kind of scratching our heads but again I remember even being convicted being like I'm trying to explain away what God has just done and and again that's okay because God's not waiting for us to get it all right in order for him to work the way he wants to work in fact I, I will tell you my 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 fervent in prayer has grown by him revealing himself in different ways, answering the way I had hoped sometimes, not answering the way I had hoped sometimes. And it's almost like he grows us through our prayers. And some of us are prayerless because we want to get it all right and we're afraid to do it. And there's a sense of just praying as we go praying ourselves into deeper, healthier prayer. There's one guy that comes to mind. I think he's here today. Um, Paul Bell, a good friend of mine. Some of you guys know Paul and Jenny. Jenny leads our children's ministry. And Paul and I will sometimes go on, you know, jogs together. And over time, I've, I've really learned from him. He'll just bust out into prayer. You'll just be mid-stride or mid-conversation and like, yeah, so this is good. And then he's, I'm like, oh, whoa, he's 
praying right now. Let's be like, you know, we're running, we're talking, and, and Lord, I pray that, you know, thank you for Dave, and thank you for these things going on, and we'll just, and, the, and, and where prayer's becoming more a consistent part of conversation, and Lord willing, a more consistent part of life. And so let me encourage us to pray that we would grow in our prayer for one another, not having to get it all right, not being paralyzed by our fear. But again, you see that in these people, though they're praying, they're committed to prayer, right? They've been praying likely for nights on end. And you see the church is a church of prayer and that's all they know how to do. They're so powerless. They can't say, oh, it's only Peter who's in prison. Dude, he's a stud. He'll be fine. He'll get out of this, right? Oh, no. You see consistently like, we don't know what to do here. Oh, I guess we have no hope but to pray. And even when they get it right, they still get it wrong. And then God's grace is sufficient and he grows them. He reveals himself. And so they pray more and they grow in prayer. Let's pray that we would be a church that's growing in prayer, right? We're a young church. We're two and a half years old as a congregation. We're maturing. We're maybe like in that really awkward kind of prepubescent stage right now. Okay, look at, you can say like we're awkward. You can embrace that. But um, we've even grown maybe a little too quickly, right? We're that awkward kid that can't even run to first base because they're like grew too fast. They're like growing while they're running to first and they trip over their big feet that are just bursting out of their shoes. And that's us. But as we're growing up, let us be growing up in the context of prayer, of, of God, you're powerful and you're at work and we depend on you and we don't always get it right, but we're learning more and more about you, more about your character. And that's what's happening here. The church is praying. They don't believe this servant girl, Rhoda. They're like, silly Rhoda. And uh, she's like, no, seriously. So they go and they start yelling because they're excited. And then Peter's like, hey, guys, keep your voice down. I know God just got me out of jail, but I don't want to go back like right now. He will. He'll go back. But he's like, I don't want to go right now. And so they finally open. They saw that it was him. They were amazed. Oh, wow. God actually just answered our prayer. Crazy, crazy thing. And uh, then um, it just kind of just like that. Verse, uh, verse 17 Peter departs and he goes to another place. God's power has been on display in an incredible way. And prayer has been the catalyst, the bookends for all of it, okay? It's, I can't stress enough. I think you can hear my excitement and my uh, emphasis, my enthusiasm in this. Do not miss that the way this has been written is that prayer is the only hope of the church. And that is what God used and is using to continue to advance his mission. There is a little bit of a paradox of a confusion here of like, well, how's this working? Is God waiting for his people and sitting there and saying, I, you have to get every word right. You have to get it right and you have to pray right and then I will move. No, God is sovereign. God has a plan. God is the initiator and yet also he is calling his people to call on him in prayer and he moves. And only by the power of prayer has God's people been moved to continue his work. And they pray and expect God to do what is good. Hear me again. Pray and expect God to do what is good. 
Now, what is good? We don't always know. (laughs) We don't always have it figured out of what the outcome needs to be or will be or should be. But trusting God and his character, his proven character, his love, with that in mind, we go and we pray. We trust that he is good. And prayer, again, is not inaction. Okay, some of us are like A-type. We're driven. We're active. What do I do? Prayer is not inaction. It is trusting God to act. Amen? Prayer is trusting God to act. He has acted. Look at the cross. He is acting and he will act. And so we go before him confidently and humbly in prayer. And now again, contrasting this whole story, picking up in verse 18, it looks back at Herod. Because Herod is angry. And verses 18 and 19, Herod goes on a search. What happened to Peter? Where did, and everyone's like, hey, this guy Peter who was surrounded by soldiers and iron gates and multiple chains and all this stuff is there. And all of a sudden, Peter's gone. Where is Peter? Verse 20, Herod was angry with the people. And they came to him with one accord. And it goes on. And then basically to flex his muscle. He's a bully. Because bullies don't have real power, right? They have false power. They have fake power. It's derived power. So what does he do? He needs to scare everyone, right? And so he continues to go on a rampage and he kills these guards who were around Peter. And he flexes his muscle. Verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and he took his seat upon the throne Okay, the imagery here is so important. Again, God's power. Is he working? Is he trustworthy? And I don't know. James was just killed. And then Peter was arrested. Boom, fall off the cliff of trust and of power and of assurance, of confidence. Right? I don't know what to do here. And then Herod is here flexing his muscle, flexing his power. He puts on these robes. He takes his place on the throne. And we're likely asking, who's on the throne? Who's in control? Who can we trust? Who has the power? And it looks like Herod right now. It's building anticipation. And all the people call out in verse 22. The people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And Herod's like sitting there. Well, you know, you said it, right? Like, you're right. Again, he thinks he has all this power. But remember back at the very beginning, his, the source of his power is the people that he leads and what they declare, what they shout out. And immediately, God steps in. Verse 23, and immediately an, ang- an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Eaten by worms is likely like something within his stomach. He got worms like a dog would get, you know, and you, you give your dog pills and it's got these worms. Well, he, he is immediately struck. The idea here is swift. God steps in and strikes him. Do you remember? God struck Peter, but in a very different way in a merciful way, and in an intentional way to lead Peter to what he would do. And yet, uh, Herod here, who has gone astray, is struck with judgment. And he dies. 
And God reveals the true source, the true authority, the true, the true power here is on display. And Herod, just like that, this whole story here has gone, this whole process in the very beginning, remember where we were, there's been this interplay of power. At the very beginning, who has the power? Well, Herod does. He's killing people. He's arresting people. He's now at the end here. He's putting on robes. Herod is, is persecuting the church and the church is floundering. They know nothing of what they can do but pray. And then here at the end, Herod's dead, eaten by worms. And verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. The true power is ultimately comes out victorious in the end. And God's people continue on Grieving, yes. Confused, yes. Scared, yes. But hopeful, yes. Renewed and assured in God's power, yes. And this whole thing has been written. to It is, it is, it is boiling over with the imagery of Jesus. Even the fact that it happened on the Passover, the time of, of uh, unbroken or, un, or of, of unleavened bread is just reminding us that when Jesus was arrested, it was during this same time. And that similarly, the church there is reading along and is experiencing this sense of dread. Wait, Jesus, God the Son, go back to the beginning with me. Declaring the good news of the kingdom of heaven that is at hand and yet apparently powerless, arrested. And then he's put on a cross, a very powerless place to be, shameful. And the power structures of the world are just flexing their muscle and arrogantly, they're, they're casting lots, they're, they're, they're kind of throwing craps right now, betting on the royal robes of Jesus that they have put on him in mockery. And similarly, Herod here, puts on these royal robes that represent the power structures of the world. And yet, in the end, the power of God, true power, so clearly prevails. And God's people continue on. God's work continues. God's kingdom continues to unfold counterintuitively, absolutely. Do you think the church just has it all figured out now and is like, oh yeah, we have faith, we know what to do, we'll pray, we know, you know, blah, blah, blah. When God answers our praise, we're always gonna believe it because we've got it all right and we've got proper theology and we've read all the right books and we know all the right things and we're never gonna be confused or afraid or grieving or uncertain. No. But they continue more firmly grounded on the good news of Jesus, so clearly described displayed. The jail cell could not contain Peter. The grave could not contain Jesus. And God's power, the true power, continues to inform and compel his people forward. So, Captain Obvious here, what do we do, church? We pray. Amen. We, we don't know what's up ahead Again, hopefully you feel a bit more okay in your uncertainty, in our uncertainty, in our questions, in our doubts, in our fears, and yet all the more drawn to the throne, the true throne, the real throne of power, the throne of God, 
as the people of God, humbly and yet boldly coming before him in prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we believe you're good. And we also take a bit more comfort in acknowledging that sometimes that head knowledge hits a roadblock on the way to our hearts and on the way to our everyday lives. And yet we thank you for your grace. It's sufficient that we don't have to get it right, that we didn't have to get it right before we came before you in faith. We don't have to get it right now because we simply come in response to your grace, your undeserved favor. Lord, we confess our doubt, our fears. Lord, we confess that we struggle to wonder where the power really is, that we are so prone to doubt, that there are so many other sources of power informing our lives. And Lord, when they come crashing in, we wonder if you're truly in control, if our hope is secure in your hands. And yet I pray that through our time in your word, we've seen your power on display, your counterintuitive power, and yet your unrelenting, always faithful, always present power, your good news, the good news of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.